Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, I am joined by Jordan, the host of the 805 Uncensored podcast. Jordan, thank you for coming on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for having me, Desmond. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, as is custom, whenever we have a new podcaster come on the show for the first time, which, you know, technically you came onto a panel of mine on YouTube a couple of months ago. For those who are not subscribed on YouTube, now is your chance. Go back and check out some of those panel episodes. But Jordan has been on the podcast before on the YouTube version, his first time here on the audio version. Jordan, could you just tell everyone a little bit about like what exactly like is your podcast and, and why did you decide to start it? Sure. So initially the 805 Uncensored just started out as like a current events political podcast that I was doing with a good friend of mine when I was living up in Ventura County. Basically, we were sharing a, an apartment complex and we would just kind of talk about what's going on in the world. And then one day we just kind of were like, hey, maybe we should turn this into a podcast and record our conversations. Maybe somebody would actually give a shit about this. And, you know, I, I ultimately came up with the name 805 Uncensored because, like I said, we were based in Ventura County. So <clears throat> it made sense to show that we were from there. So we wanted to bring in a local audience, but I also didn't want to just stick to only talking about local stuff. Um, over this was in the summer of 2019, by the way. Over uh, over time, my partner just became less interested naturally uh, than I was, and so I just took over the podcast full time. But we did have like a six month hiatus. Uh, fast forward to 2020, and the pandemic began. And there were just so many traumatic events that were going on in the world. And I had much more free time, like a lot of other people did. And so I just decided to pick up the podcast and, and talk about a bunch of different things. And I, I quickly realized, too, when I was doing the show, that um, people get bored just focusing on politics. And naturally, I have a bunch of other interests and so I started incorporating like music, spirituality, philosophy, uh, a bunch of things like that. And on each episode, I have a variety of guests from uh, various professional and academic backgrounds. I talk to authors, I talk to musicians, I talk to um, local activists. I've even had a few like progressive members of Congress. I talk to, um, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm, I'm blanking on his name right now. He was on your podcast as well from Kentucky, Plum Springs. Oh yeah, William Compton. Yes, thank you, William yeah. Compton. Great, great interview. Um, yeah, so basically, uh, since 2020, I've been making episodes consistently. I drop a new episode every Saturday morning. My most recent episode was with Matthew Schultz. He's an author of uh, The Dark and the Light, which is about trauma, addiction, uh, ayahuasca experiences, and also his experiences um, working at sweat lodges with the Lakota and the Mayan people. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's interesting. Cause then, you know, I think, I know that we've already talked about this on, on your podcast, you know, so, you know, we've already had this conversation, but you know, the, my audience hasn't heard it yet, but your trajectory of, you know, like why you started your podcast and how it kind of like where it started from and where it's at right now, it's, 
it's very similar to like my story. It feels kind of like uh, interesting that way. But, you know, just uh, just for people to understand, you know, obviously political podcast here. So I'm going to ask you about your politics. You've told me before that you feel very, you know, in the framework of like being anti-capitalist of, you know, aligning more with, you know, like ideologies like communism. Can you just tell me like what led you to that point? And what's like a common misconception that you hear in the media about communism, for instance, that you just like, just find like unbearable and that you just always like want to correct? Super good questions. Okay, so I've always been aligned with the political left, you know, as far as I can remember. But I realized that I was an anti-capitalist in 2020, uh, witnessing the events of the pandemic. There was just, like I said, one traumatic event after another. Um, there was obviously the virus, and then there was the George Floyd murder, and then the Western wildfires later in the fall. And I realized that all of these problems at their root are caused by capitalism. And after that, I started just um, engaging myself in a bunch of different leftist theory, too. I started reading the Communist Manifesto by Marx. I started reading The Conquest of Bread by Kropotkin. I started reading um, On Anarchism by Noam Chomsky. And these were just absolutely enlightening texts to me. And I, in my experience, and when I talk to other leftists, the more that you educate yourself, you just kind of naturally move further and further left. And, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but that's a pattern that I've witnessed with other leftists. And it's certainly true with myself. Uh, as far as like things that piss me off about like common misconceptions about socialism and communism, um, <clears throat> there are a bunch of them. So my first one is socialism is when the government does stuff. That's wrong. Socialism is when the workers control the means of production. Another uh, important distinction to realize about socialism, too, is that it's, in fact, the transitionary stage between capitalism and communism. It's in the middle. Right. OK. Yeah. yeah. The other one is socialism is incompatible with democracy. That's wrong. You're literally democratizing the workplace. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, like these are these are definitely things that that I've also been frustrated about when I hear about people like, especially attacks on the right, for instance, you know, they'll say that, you know, like, oh, whenever the government does anything that that's socialism, it's such a bastardization of the word, you know, like truthfully speaking, but, you know, like just kind of going away from that a little bit, well, not away from the, I guess, the talking points of it. Mm -hmm. Do you think that it actually can be implemented in America? I mean, just given the framework of what we see you know, like in this country, do you think that socialism or communism could actually work in this country? So that one's a very difficult one to answer. And I can come at it from a variety of lenses. And I think that I will. So the first thing that I'm going to say is this country has obviously had two major red scares in the early 1900s and in the mid 1900s. And it looks like we might even be going into a third one with all the bullshit from Ron DeSantis in Florida, all the anti-communist stuff and anti-socialist stuff going on with the right wing right now. Um, but with all that being said, you, the younger generations, millennials and Generation Z like myself, we strongly favor socialism and communism over capitalism because we're right in the middle of the capitalist hellscape. We're experiencing late stage capitalism. And what I mean by that is we're experiencing the contradictions of this economic system is not fucking working for us. Like the things that we were promised as children that you would get it, that you would go to college and you would get a degree, you would eventually have a high paying job. It just doesn't work anymore. We don't live in that world anymore. And so I think that 
Generation Z and millennials are going to continue to move towards that direction. However, in the context of the United States, considering we have all that propaganda being perpetuated by the right, being perpetuated by the media, and even just people that are ignorant about what those concepts are actually about, um, it seems like the best that we're going to get in the United States is something closer to like the Nordic model of democratic um, or social democracy, rather, not democratic socialism. So I look at that as like a, a nicer capitalism where you have a much bigger social safety net, but you still have private property. You know, you still have privatized means of production. You still have um, people working nine to five jobs and all that. Right. And, and you know what? One of the things that, you know, I always wondered about, I mean, I, I guess not so much like in the forefront of my mind, but it is definitely something that I think about. And I know that it's a common pushback on the right when they hear about this. They always, because the common framing from the right is any more power towards the government is bad. The end. Like they want to depower the government as much as humanly possible. And, you know, if we're, if I'm being 100% honest, the government has done things that make you, you know, I guess like a little like critical yeah. of wanting to give them more power. So there is, <laughs> you know, in my mind, that argument does seem valid, but it also does seem as though it's not really fair to the conversation as a whole. So like personally, like where do you fall in this category? If we did in fact move towards more like a social, like um, social democracy, more like, you know, uh, Norway, Sweden, Finland, if we did move that direction, do you think that the government, our government, could handle that increase in, in, I guess you would say, power and not be further corrupted? Honestly, I don't know, because I am a firm believer in the concept that power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Although at the same time, I think as leftists, we should be doing absolutely everything to pressure our government to be improving the material conditions of our people at all times. And if we're going to take the choice between government and corporations over which one has the potential to cause the most harm and is the most evil right now i'm going to take corporations especially if we're talking about america you know it, it's it's definitely an interesting um place to be between because you know in my mind i'm thinking to myself like okay like you know if we do give the government more power will they abuse it but i also think to myself like well the government is somewhat, I guess, vulnerable to our outrage because when we do get people outraged enough, some things do change, or at least they can change. Like a, mm -hmm. a company has no reason to actually change anything if if they get if we all get upset at them, but the government can because you know I guess politicians more than anything they just they're afraid of losing their power, their elected positions, so they might be more vulnerable to actually public outrage than a company would, but. I don't know. These are questions that I find myself, you know, thinking about when I think about this subject, but, you know, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have more questions with Jordan. So everyone stay tuned. Betty's Divine is a locally owned boutique on the magnificent hip strip in downtown Missoula, Montana, that has been a fixture in the Mountain West since 2005. We have a fondness for vintage-inspired clothing, shoes, and accessories for humans, as well as the real deal found in our vintage department, Divine Trash. Betty's Divine presents a snapshot of Northwest styles with an emphasis on street, skate, surf, and rock and roll culture, as well as Americana classics. Alongside a radical selection of clothing, Betty's Divine offers a damn fine array of shoes, jewelry, records, and accessories to satisfy any taste, whatever your age or vibe. 
You can count on us to prioritize financial, social, and environmental responsibility without sacrificing the look. Visitors enjoy a lovely atmosphere, dreamy tunes, and the best customer service in the West. And you can shop us online at bettysdivine.com. Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order. Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So before we went on the break, we were talking about, you know, the different ideas around communism, socialism, can they be implemented in the well in America? I want to kind of transition a little bit right now to something a little more just contemporary as far as things that are happening today. You know, looking out at the news, I know that you as well as I constantly engaged in politics, looking at what's happening across the country. What is a particular like news story right now that currently has like captured your attention the most? Yeah, so I actually have a few. Uh, the fact that COVID isn't going anywhere, it looks like a devastating fall and winter wave seems likely again. Climate change uh, in the West encapsulating a variety of crises all at one time, drought, wildfires, and uh, summer blackouts all at once. Um, the amount of money that we've given to Ukraine as the lives of working class and poor Americans continue to get tougher and tougher. Uh, the Great Resignation, also known as workers rising up against their bosses and quitting their jobs in large numbers. Uh, basically demanding remote work opportunities, demanding much more benefits from their employers, and obviously uh, much higher wages. Um, it's also really pissing me off that we're placing so much focus on January 6th and the fact that there are no committees to get to the bottom of why a million Americans died of COVID, but we're you know, doing a months long investigation into a failed coup attempt. Coup attempt. You know, this isn't to say that January 6th isn't important, but I would argue that the government should be focused on improving the lives of Americans right now. You know, that's actually that's actually a great segue because I, I want to give go two different directions with this. But first and foremost, you know, talking about the pandemic and the government's reaction to it, whether you want to focus on government under Trump, government under Biden, you know, what do you think that the executive branch should have done differently, or maybe just maybe just the government as a whole, you know, just like White House, Congress, what should have been done differently that was not done or wasn't done well enough in regards to the pandemic, in your opinion? Yeah, so I think there's a bunch of things, Desmond. Uh, first of all, I think Medicare for all should have been expanded to include every single American immediately. A study was just released from The Guardian that indicated that nearly 350,000 COVID deaths in the United States could have been prevented 
had the U.S. implemented a universal healthcare system at the start of the pandemic. The stimulus checks were measly and inadequate. You know, we needed monthly checks of at least two grand for every adult 18 and up in this country, $500 to a thousand for every child throughout the entire duration of the pandemic. This is what the, ma the vast majority of the world got, but we didn't get that obviously. And it, it doesn't make any sense because we're a consumer-based economy. So if you give consumers money, it's going to go right back into the economy. It's not like people were just gonna save this money. There's this trope going around right now that we printed too much money and gave too much COVID money to people. We have inflation right now. That's garbage. It's because corporations are price gouging people. No, and on obviously, you know, I did an episode in June, you know, talking about this specifically, talking about on you know the rise of inflation, but how companies are purposely jacking up prices because they know they have the backdrop cover end of inflation. So that is, which you know, unfortunately, there are certain talking heads that like to perpetuate you know, falsehood saying that the only reason that we have inflation right now is because of government spending. When you look at the numbers, the actual government spending, I think, I think accounts for maybe a quarter or less of current inflation. So it's, it's definitely minuscule in comparison to price gouging. And honestly, a lot of that comes from gas prices. The oil companies yep. particularly yes. are gouging the American public so much that they are contributing by themselves you know, almost a quarter, if not more of the inflation just on their own end. But, you know, going beyond this, you know, the next thing that I want to ask you, you know, like we, you just mentioned January 6th and how you mm -hmm. know they held meetings on that. They, you know, made a huge like TV spectacle of this. And, you know, the question when people were asked, you know, like, hey, is this going to end up leading to any kind of indictments or any kind of convictions? And, you know, the people who organized in the meetings, they basically just said no. So there's not actually there's not actually like a trial that's coming after this. So it does beg the question of, of of why. You know, I think we already all know what happened on January 6th. So wouldn't it be more pertinent to hold meetings that are going to be talking about how we can better the lives of Americans or how we can do something in some effect to be helping people get through this turbulent time? And that's the question I want to ask to you now. Like, is there something that the government should be doing like right now in order to helping people through this moment in time? Uh, yeah, there's a bunch of things that they could be doing. Um, so I would say that like a UBI would help tremendously a universal basic income to people of like $2,000 a month where they could afford just basic expenses because basic, basic expenses are not affordable right now. Uh, universal healthcare should be expanded. Um, sorry, Desmond, I have like an, an entire list right here. Let me get to it. Um, oh yeah. I wanted to increase the federal minimum wage and adjust it every year. According to inflation, I think that the government should be massively investing into high-speed rail right now. They should be offering tax incentives for corporations that expand remote working opportunities. And I also, maybe it, this might be unpopular, because I don't, I haven't heard really anybody talk about this before. But I would actually eliminate income tax for all Americans that make under a hundred grand a year. Oh, okay. What's your reasoning? I feel like we could easily fund everything in American society and remove the tax burden from those people at the exact same time, and it will be a net benefit because those people will have that much more money, and it will just go back into the economy. Okay. Okay. That's not something that I've ever considered before. I'm not sure how that would, be, how that would play out, but in theory, 
you know, I like the idea. And, and obviously, you know, I'm asking you questions that I could probably, you know, answer myself, you know, because, you know, obviously I'm asking you things like, oh, what could the government do right now? That seems like a pretty like, you know, like no brainer answer. I'm sure anyone who's listening right now would probably be like, why would you even ask a question like that? But <laughs> particularly, you know, the reason why I asked that question, why I've been asking a lot of these questions is because when I have somebody else come on this podcast, I think it's, you know, important that, you know, there's a variety of opinions come on. Like, obviously I could answer all these questions, but I like to get a feel for how other people are seeing the world. What's, how do you view this political landscape through your own lens, especially when it's somebody else on the left, because the left isn't just like, um, isn't just like a homogenous thing where everyone who like votes for like Democrats or who votes for leftist candidates you know, all feels the same way. Like there's so many different shades of, I guess, of what you would call leftists or people who are on the left. And that kind of like leads me right into my next question now. You know, as people who are on the left, I don't think that we're in the same block on the left, but we're still both on the left. Do you think that, I guess, as a whole, is the left too divided in order to like ever properly organize? Because sometimes I kind of wonder if that is the case. So I go back and forth on this all the time, and I actually just had a recent panel about the division of the left, and I would say yes, currently, the left is far too divided to properly organize effectively right now. I will say this, though, you know, naturally, there's always going to be a lot of contention and heated debates inside the left because the left is guided by critical thinking. It's guided by egalitarianism, and so this is going to lead to a lot of argument, whereas the right is guided uh, primarily by hierarchies and authoritarianism. So like relating to authoritarianism, the right is much more willing to just kind of fall in line with their leaders, whereas the left is not going to be nearly as willing to do this. So the debates for the left kind of center around specific policies, whereas like debates on the right tend to just center around who's in charge of those policies. And it's because the members of the right largely just agree on all of those policies versus the left. There's going to be a bunch of nuance between those things. And so... Um, you know, with all that being said, there's there's a very clear um, anarcho-capitalist to fascist pipeline. <laughs> you know, those are those are tendencies that are among the right wing, but they're very close to one another, and there's a clear um, connection there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's something that I've always wondered. Kind of like just like watching, I, I guess even like on the on the congressional level, watching these politics play out, it feels as though Republicans all seem to like, no matter what the case is, they all seem to fall in line and just kind of yeah. like, just they all have one united message. And you even see this on Twitter, like, and in Fox News and things like that. It feels as though they're all in lockstep, the same messaging, the same kind of like talking points, the same everything. I remember in 2020, and don't even ask me why, but I ended up watching little clips of Senate debates from, you know, Senate, from a Senate races from all over the country, Montana, Iowa, uh, Maine, uh, North Carolina, like Arizona, so on. And it was, mm -hmm. it was striking to me how every Republican senator was damn near saying the exact same thing. And it was like, wait, do you all have some sheet you're reading off of? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like there was, there was no authentic answers whatsoever. It was yep. like the exact same answer to every single question. So yeah, it, it really, it makes me wonder how the left can kind of I guess, compete with something like that, because we are not willing to kind of just all like, I guess, fall in line and just do what everyone else is doing. So just questions I want to throw out there. But in regards to your podcast, I want to kind of just close on this, you know, 
somebody who, when you do talk about politics, you are coming from a left perspective, uh, from an anarcho, um, well, from, I'm sorry, from an anti-capitalist perspective. What do you, what is your like take home message to people who like come to your podcast? Like when they get done listening to an episode of the 805 Uncensored, like what is it that you hope that people will take from listening to one of your episodes? Oh, great question. I really appreciate that. So my main takeaway is just that I want to speak to intelligent people from all over the world. And while doing so, educate and entertain my listeners and have fun in the process. Well, I hope that. I hope that for those of you who are interested, you'll go check it out. Uh, Jordan, where can people find you at online uh, if they want to come check out you and your podcast? Yeah, sure. So definitely check us out on our social media channels on Instagram at 805 Uncensored Pod, on Twitter at 805 Uncensored. And we're on all the major podcasting listening networks, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, et cetera. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. For those who were interested, we will have those links in the episode descriptions. So go ahead and check that out now. If you liked this episode, please go ahead and share it on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, tag Independent Thought. Thank you so much for checking out this episode, and we will see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.